The Old, uh, the Old Testament reading this morning is a big surprise from Ecclesiastes. we reading from chapter 9, beginning at verse 11 and the first three verses of chapter 10. This is the sermon text. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and against it. And there was found in it a poor, wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. This is the word of the Lord. name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, grace and peace. As always, I am honored to be amongst you all. Uh, I have a great affection for grace and peace, uh, and it all began with a very dear friend of mine, Pastor Kurt Lutchens. Um, Recently, I happened upon a book of mine where I kept, where I journaled. And I opened it up to this particular page, and there I had written about my trip to Mobile, Alabama with Kurt Lutchens. And uh, man, it just brought tears to my eyes as I reflected on that road trip with him. What an honor. And I'm grateful that through his relationship, I have forged a relationship with you all, 
And once again, thank you for inviting me and my dear friend, Mike, and all of you, thank you so much. I love grace and peace. Thank you once again for inviting me and, and uh, allowing this space for me to preach through this very difficult book, <laughs> Ecclesiastes. I want to also acknowledge uh, New Perfect Peace and thank you all very much for coming out and supporting me <clears throat> on this fine Sunday morning. If you will uh, indulge with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, chapters 9 and 10, I will read at verse 11 from the ESV. And here's what it says. It says, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happens to them all. For man does not know what time, like a fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I also have seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seems great to me that there was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege work against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he lay, I'm sorry, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Chapter 10, verse 1, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. I want to title this, if you will, Three Wise Words. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you will grant me the gift of preaching. I pray, Lord, that you will pre prepare the hearts of your people. I pray, Lord, as John said, that, that I would decrease, that you might increase. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. For you alone are my strength and my redeemer. And we thank you today, Lord. I want to thank you for allowing this space to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ these truths from your holy word. Holy Spirit, move upon me for preaching. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Ecclesiastes. Honestly, this is the first time that I have had the privilege of preaching out of the book of Ecclesiastes. Also, 
it is with rare occasion that I preach from two books. And so with that being said, I'm honored to have this opportunity to stretch, if you will, in efforts of preaching the gospel. There are a couple verses that I just remember by heart from the book of Ecclesiastes. There's one that I remember, I'm sorry for not being able to give you the address, but I like what it says. It says, be not over much wickedness, neither be thou foolish, for why should you die before your time? There's another very popular one that simply states, remember now thy creator in the days of your youth, when the evil days draw now, when you shall say, I have no pleasure in them. What is he talking about in that verse? He is talking about in that verse, he's saying, while you're young and you have agility and all this youthfulness and less pain, he's saying, during that time, remember the one who created you. And then he says, for the evil days draw it nigh. He's talking about as we age, and many of you, including myself, we understand what he means by that, right? He talks about those evil days draw it now where you say, well, I don't have any pleasure in them. You know, when I was younger, I could play basketball and run around the court. Now my knees hurt. Those are the evil days that he's referring to um, in Ecclesiastes. There's another one that I really like. I think it's in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 7 where he says, where there is much wisdom, there is also much grief. And he that increases in knowledge, he also increases in sorrow. What am I getting at? Here's what I'm getting at. In the book of Ecclesiastes, there's this phrase that is used over 20 times, and it is under the sun. There's another phrase that's used over 30 times, roughly 34 times, 12 times in one verse, no, five times in one verse, and that is vanity. Vanity. That So you get this idea that everything under heaven, I'm sorry, under the sun is vain or temporary, is the idea that it seems that Solomon has when he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. So he's going to give you wisdom for living. And you see it throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. But my task today is chapter 9 and chapters 10. So if you will, I want to give you, pick up three words of wisdom uh, for life under the sun from Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and chapter 10. Let me start with my first word of wisdom. The first word of wisdom I would give to you is that life, that life is unpredictable, that life is under, unpredictable. Listen to what he says in verse number 11 of chapter 9. He says, again, uh-oh, notice, I saw under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happens to them all. Listen to what he said. Very, very interesting. Right away, you should notice the use of the word not five times. Here's something that you would not notice in your English translations. In the original Greek, it starts with the word not. So here's the way it reads. I'm sorry, in the original Hebrew, here's the way it reads. Not to the swift is the race. Not to the strong is the battle. 
Not to the clever is the getting of bread. Not to the sharp is true wealth. Not to the skillful comes favor and power. So he starts, Solomon, by saying not. Why does he say not? Because we're inclined to think that those who run fast typically wins the race. We're inclined to think that those who are the strongest ends up winning the battle. We also think that the clever person ends up getting the bread, and the person who's sharp, well, they get true wealth. And the one who's skillful, with that comes favor and power. But the reality that he's telling us is that life is not that predictable. You can always determine the outcome. Those circumstances do not belong in the skill set of man. We are not the masters of our faith. We are not in control. Basically, he's saying, because you get this sense, he's saying only fools think that because he talk about the wise and the fools. I want to give you a couple examples, if you will. Born premature and sickly to a poor family in the Jim Crow South in 1940, as the 20th of 22 children, she was well-loved but, but struggled with illnesses for much of her childhood. She battled double pneumonia, scarlet fever, and a whooping cough, or a whooping cough. A bout of polio left one leg crooked and her foot curved in. The neighborhood kids in Clarksville, Tennessee, teased her mercilessly. She was forced to wear a leg brace. She often sat at home feeling rejected and alone. There wasn't much for her to dream about, she wrote in her 1977 autobiography. But guess what? This woman who had polio and a crooked leg ended up in 1960 winning three gold medals and while she was in, while she was in Rome and it is recorded that the Romans when they saw this young lady running they said Vilma 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 the crowd cheering who were they cheering for Wilma Rudolph guess what you all it was not predicted that she would win the race but she not only won, but she won three times. She ended up winning the race. Who would have thought? But ranked amongst her as a colleague is one by the name of David. Which warrior would win between David and Goliath? I mean, after all, Goliath makes Mike Tyson look like wimpy. He was, I mean, Goliath was undefeated. He had the biggest and best armor. He was trained as a warrior from his youth, but a rookie, a shepherd's boy, the youngest of eight boys, the run of his family, with no army training, no skill set in fighting great major wars. Big bad Goliath lost his head in an encounter with David, the youngest of Jesse's son. You know why? Because the battle is not always to the strong. Life is not always predictable. Who's going to succeed in life? 
Obviously, it's not always the wise person or the intelligent person. Guess who Harvard voted as their most successful high school dropout? Bill Gates. Life is not always predictable. And I love the way he says it. He says, Man, you don't always know the time. As intelligent as you are, you can build airplanes, you can, you can design buildings, you can treat each other with some of the greatest medicine ar around, but you are just like a fish. You are not only like a fish, you're like a bird caught in a net, he says. You don't know when death will come, you don't know when your life is in. Why? Because it's unpredictable. All you have to do is look at the tapes from 9-11. Many of us have it grained in our memory. I know exactly where I was. When someone said to me, look at the television, have you seen the news? It came unaware. And that's what Solomon's saying. Solomon's saying, under the sun, this is a human perspective that life is unpredictable. Train for your race. Get stronger so you can win the battle. But guess what? Life is unpredictable. That is a human perspective from our view under the sun. But not only is life unpredictable, but I'm going to somewhat contradict myself and say life is predictable. It's unpredictable, but it's also predictable. I know I just threw you for a loop. I get it. And I know all of you are saying how. Well, in the first point, we are talking about the human perspective. But from God's vantage point, let me, let me show you where I see it. I see it also in verse 11 where he says, time and chance happens to them all. Probably the unfavorable impression of which I've spoken arises the idea and suggests, suggested by the word chance. That word chance in our English language, or I'm sorry, in the Hebrew, is actually pega, P-E-G-A. And that word is only used twice in all the scripture. Here in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and 11 and 1 Kings chapter 5 and verse 4, and it means a stroke. The general idea of this is that the adversity or disappointment is afflicted by a higher power and not merely that of something accidental, infer interfering with human plans. So therefore, it is saying that God creates circumstances whereby he interferes with human plans to bring about his own will. So this one is not a human perspective, if you will. This is God's perspective. And from his perspective, God is not unaware of the circumstances that occur, occur in our lives. So the final result is whatever we may do is conditioned by God. Because we know that to be true, right? Like we know that, that when you, when you train a race, often you win. That when you get strong, often you win the battle. When you get smart, there is bread. We know that to be true. And I'm sure the author knows this as well. Solomon, he knows this. 
But what Solomon is saying is the ultimate outcome is in the very hand of God. For example, Paul agrees in Romans 9 and 16. Listen to what he says. He says, so then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but God that shows mercy. See, the thought of this limitation of man's uh, own effort, in spite of his gifts and his own abilities, is, is expressed. It's expressed throughout. That's the whole idea that he's giving to us, is that God is in complete control. You say, well, Pastor Lord, where else do you see that I am? Glad you asked that question. Because, let me read Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to you, beginning at verse 1. Listen to what he says. Here's what I want you to notice before I read this. That instead of saying time and chance, he says time and seasons. Listen to this. He says, for there is a time for everything and a season for every activity where under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to, to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. But listen to this. But what do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden of God laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful, watch, in his own time. And he has set eternity in the human heart. You see that? And then he says, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So Solomon is telling you right there that God not only knows everything, but he determines everything that happens to all of his creation. Colossians suggests the same thing. God is totally in control. That is a godly perspective is that for his, from his vantage point, that life is predictable. But notice how he says, time and chance, time and chance. You can have time but not have chance. You can have chance but it's not the time. It was not the time for Wilma Rudolph to run when she was young with a brace. But guess what? Time and chance, they met. They were tethered together. And when they were by the sovereign hand of God, look at what happened. David, time and chance, it. And Goliath fell down with his head cut off because time and chance met each other. And when they kissed, David's sword kissed Goliath. I mean, there are so many examples of how time and chance meet together. And the outcome, you, you see God's sovereign hand. Ask Ruth if she didn't see it when she went out to, to, to grain in the field. And came back and she was asked by her mother-in-law, uh, what did she say? To, I'm sorry, Naomi. She asked Naomi, she said, where did you get all this from? I got it from Boaz. Can you imagine 
If, can you imagine it, how, how time and chance collided there by God's sovereign hand? How about, I mean, the list goes on, right? I'm sure many of you are thinking about Judas. Many of us are thinking about the cross, how time and chance collided and salvation was brought to all men because time and chance happened on the Roman cross. So though, life from God's vantage point is predictable. I want to move. Not only is life unpredictable, but life is also predictable. But he gives us some things that we can ponder in this in this passage, and I it, it is just so amazing to me. Uh, for example, uh, in ten verse one, uh, Solomon says something very interesting in ten one. For he says this: He says, "Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench." So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. I want you to imagine yourself enjoying a delicious meal like I prefer at Longhorn, one of their steaks called the Flo's Filet, and then have a nice cup of vegetable beef soup, and you're sitting there just enjoying that nice steak, you look look over at your bowl of soup and there is a little fly wiggling around in that soup. And the waitress or waiter comes over and says, oh, I'll fix this little problem. Let me just take the fly out. Will you eat it? I see kids saying, none of us, you, you know why? Because we could not get that little thing out of our minds, though it's gone. That's his point. In, in life, here's something to ponder. That small things really do matter. Small things and people who seem insignificant, they really do matter. And that's the point he's kind of drawing now. And, and it's interesting because when he mentions uh, the fly and producing the stench on the perfume, now you don't want it. Then he says, so little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. It was the late Dr. Billy Graham who said once, I don't want one, and I'm going to paraphrase him, but give you the same idea. He said, I I don't want one mistake to disgrace all the years of ministry. So Dr. Billy Graham decided that He would have someone who traveled with him wherever he went as an accountability partner, and he never allowed a female to enter into his hotel room. Why? Because he understood that one incident in a hotel room would outweigh all the years of ministry of wisdom and honor all down the trash. And how many of us have seen that? And so Solomon is saying, here's something for you to think about, that one little mistake, one little wrong turn, hanging out with the wrong person. I'll share this story with you real quickly. I was a youth pastor at Friendly Temple, and 
some of the, one of the kids ran up to me and said, Pastor Lloyd, there's a lot of feces in the bathroom, in the boys' bathroom. I said, you're kidding. And he said, no. So I walked in the bathroom, and sure enough, there was feces all on the floor and all the, on the wall. So I asked, I said, who did this? And the kids say, we don't know. I said, you don't? They said, no. I said, okay, I'll be right back. I went and grabbed a bunch of gloves. I came back and gave all the boys some gloves. And I got me a pair, too. And I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to clean this bathroom. All of us. Oh, well, well Pastor, I guess who did? Uh, no, no, no. No, it's too late. And, and, I, and here was my application to them. I said, young men, if you were in a police car, in, in a car, and the police pulled you over, and they found some drugs in the car, who does the drugs belong to? The, dr the drive? No, no, no. They belong to all of you because nobody's going to claim them. That's exactly what you did. See, one little mistake can outweigh any wisdom or honor. You can be a college student. You can be a pastor or preacher. But one mistake, and that's what Solomon is saying to us, and this all happens under the sun. He makes another statement that I think you will find interesting. And it is found in verse, I'm moving so fast here. He says, a wise man's heart inclines to the right, but a fool's heart inclines to the left. That's a very interesting statement that he, that he makes there when he talks about a wise, a wise man's heart inclines to the left. Because the left hand was considered the place of evil or, weak, or, or weakness. The right hand is used to convey a blessing. Like the time that Jacob crossed his arms to place his right hand on Ephraim and thus give the greater blessing to him. The right hand is associated with authority. Hence, Christ is on the right hand, seated on the right hand of the Father. Giving this background, it is not surprising that he refers to the fool on the left, right? On the left hand. So when people say, I can beat you left-handed, it basically means I can beat you with my weak hand or my unskilled hand. That's the point that, that Solomon is making here. You can also draw the idea that a wise man does the things that are right while the fool does things that are left are wrong. Why? Because the fool is on the left because he goes the wrong direction and not the right direction. You see? He follows the path of temptation rather than the path of blessing. He goes the wrong way. When you get time, read Matthew. I think it's chapter 24, 25, where he said he'll take the goats and place them where? On his left, and he placed the sheep where? On his right. So Solomon, again, is giving us wisdom. Wisdom. What is that wisdom? These are things you should be thinking about while you are under the sun. And he says a lot and I obviously don't have a lot of time. But he says this, and I, thought it, I found it very interesting. He says, better 
is a living dog than a dead lion. What is his point? It's better to be alive. So while living, what, what, what can we take away from this? What, what, Pastor Lloyd, what are the final thoughts? Here are my thoughts. Instead of looking under the sun, I think Solomon is showing us that under the sun, all things are vanity. They're, they're vain, right? He even says, all is vanity in chapter 12. All is vanity. So we take that away, right? So then what would you admonish us to do? I would admonish you to think about what Hebrews 12 says. Hebrews 12 says very plainly, seeing that we're compassed about with all these great witnesses. Well, what witnesses is he referring to? He's referring to chapter 11, all those heroes of the faith. He says, let us lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us. He says, looking to Jesus. And when you look at those two words, compassed about with all these clouds of witnesses, he said, while you're running and all these heroes are rooting for you, he is saying, look to Jesus while you're running. So while you're running through this life and you're going through life, struggling through this life, he's saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. I'll take Paul's advice from 1 Timothy chapter 1. I love the way he says it. If you are looking for hope, this is what Paul will say to you. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and in verse 1 right off the bat, here's what he says. He says, Jesus is our hope. If you're looking for hope, you're not going to find it under the sun. You're only going to find it in Jesus. What if it's life you're looking for under the sun? John says in 1 John chapter uh, 5, right around verse 12, he says, this is the testimony God has given us life, and that life was in his son. He that has the son has life, and he that does not have the son, he does not have life. If you're looking for life, you'll only find it in Jesus. By the way, that's not a biological life. You get a biological life from your parents. This is a spiritual life, and it's only found in Jesus. I love the way Paul said he has made us alive together with Christ in Ephesians. If you're looking for peace, He'll give you a peace, according to Philippians, that surpasses all understanding. I like the way James says that if you're looking for wisdom, he said real wisdom comes from above. It only comes from God. In another place, he says, if any man lacks understanding, let him ask of God. He gives to all men liberally, and he does not upbraid at all, he says. If you're looking for it, you will only find it in him. One last thought. As I prepare to take my seat, it's found in the very first verse of chapter 9. Listen to this. And I pray this becomes a mantra for all of us, what Solomon says in chapter 9, verse 1. He says, but all this I laid to heart, and I examined it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. It's all in his hands. These are the wisdom that Solomon shares with us while we run through this life, this thing we call life, where, where we see all the, the disturbance in Afghanistan. 
And I'd like to add, if we're not careful here in America, where we see hurricanes, where we see division over whether, whether or not we wear a mask, I never thought I'd see a day where the church would divide us over such small issues. But small things become significant. You know how? Because we make a bigger deal about them than God does. But all of these things, you guys, though they're out of our control, for us they're unpredictable, but they're not for God. He already knows everything we're going through, and he has determined them to be so. Thank you all. God bless you. Thank <laughs> you.